tonight because um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal a line from him because Dr. Bartell taught me hermeneutics. And, and because of Dr. Bartell, I have this understanding and I got the biggest Bible that I had because this is what Dr. Bartell would tell you if he were here tonight, getting hermeneutics. He would tell you, my goal in life is to get this my goal in life is to get this in here. <laughs> My goal in life is to get this book inside of me. That's my ultimate goal in life. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalms. Turn to Psalms. I'm not going to preach to you tonight. I'm going to teach a relevant truth. And I, I pray here in just a moment that the Spirit of the living God open your eyes. We've got a whiteboard because I'm going to break the, some of these things down. And uh, I'm going to end up feeling, by the time I get done, I'll end up feeling like Perry Stone up here writing on a whiteboard while preaching. Amen. And so I know how to probably not as good as him, but I'm going to try for it anyways. <laughs> Turn to Psalms chapter number 89. Psalm 89. We're going to go to verse 36 and verse 37. And I want to teach you some things tonight that will hopefully radically redesign your idiom of thinking towards the kingdom of heaven. Hopefully there'll be a little some something I can throw up at you tonight that you think, man, I need to radically redesign my thought processing towards the kingdom. So if you don't mind, stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. We stand for a lot of ignorant things, but we at some point got to stand for what really matters. Amen. Psalm 89, verse 36 says, His dynasty will go on forever. His kingdom will endure as the sun. It will be as eternal as the moon, my faithful witness in the sky. Y'all pray for me. I'm going to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that this great body of believers would be completely changed. That no single thing that I say or do would be heard or seen, but that the willing vessel standing before these great congregation of believers, God, would be used to change the atmosphere, to shift the dynamic of a thought processing, that we might learn the immutable truths of the Word of God, that the kingdom of heaven might be here on earth in Greenbrier, Arkansas, as it is in heaven. I thank you, Holy Ghost. Now I call forth the attending angels and the ministers spirits so that way no demon in the region can contradict or become contrary in this service to discredit or discard a seed planted in this moment. I pray that right now every single demon be escorted out by a ministering spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Tell your neighbors, say the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Tell them, say the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. Y'all go ahead and be seated. Now, I want to go ahead and write this up here. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to teach this thing, the kingdom. Now, if you understand anything about the kingdom, you must first and foremost understand that you probably don't have a strong grasp on what a kingdom actually is because of the political system we have set up in the United States. Plain and simple. So when you think about a kingdom, you must first discard all of your beliefs about the political two-party system. 
Now, I know we just went through an election. I know you have all these things going through your mind. I'm not talking about the election tonight. I'm talking about the kingdom. Now, the reason why is because Psalms told, told us right here. It says his dynasty is going to go on forever, and his kingdom will endure as the sun. In other words, as long as there's a light, the Bible says, I am, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, right? So as long as there's a light, the kingdom of heaven will be here. So I, I just I want to ask you some questions while we get started up. Um, what is the gospel? Hold that question in your mind. What is the gospel? Because uh, we have what's called doctrine in the assemblies of God, and and the the doctrine because we are a cooperative fellowship. Don't let anybody lie to you. We're not a denomination. Don't call it a denomination because we are a cooperative fellowship, and the only requirement to be a part is that we cooperate in fellowship. It's real simple. Um, and so adhering to the doctrinal standards set forth in the Constitution of Bylaws, we call these, we have branded them, the 16 fundamental truths. So I'll, I'll just lay forth just for a moment. Here's some doctrine. Doctrine, according to Webster, by definition, is a belief or a set of beliefs held and taught by a church, political party, or other group. So the 16 fundamental truths are as follows. Number one is the scriptures are inspired. Number two, there is one true God. Number three, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four is the fall of man. Number five is the salvation of man. Number six is the ordinances of the church. Number seven is the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Number eight is the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Number nine is sanctification. Now, let me just clarify this because this is also something that bothers me. The Church of God in Christ, they believe that one day you wake up and you're sanctified. In the Assemblies of God, we teach progressive sanctification. Pentecost Church of God, progressive sanctification. Church of God, Cleveland, progressive sanctification. Some of these, you know, the Church of God in Christ, that's fine. We can split hairs, but there's some days I wake up and I feel sanctified. But then I'm driving down 40 on the way to work and some jack wagon cuts me off and I realize that sanctification is a progressive work. Amen. So, so you can believe, you know, you split hairs however you want to split it, but amen. So then we have number 10, the church and its mission. Number 11 is the ministry. Number 12 is divine healing. 13 is the blessed hope. 14 is the millennium reign of Christ. 15 is the final judgment. And 16 is the new heavens and the new earth. Now, how do we make doctrine? Anybody know? You know how you make doctrine? It's real simple. You, you don't have to overthink it. You call forth witnesses. You, you, you call forth witnesses. So we build doctrine based around witnesses. And in fact, actually, Paul echoes the words of Moses in 2 Corinthians 13.1, which is actually recorded in Deuteronomy 19.15. You must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness. The facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So, so let, me just, let me just go a little bit deeper now. In the Assemblies of God, we have four Four cardinal doctrines. They are salvation, baptism in the Holy Spirit, healing, and the rapture or the blessed hope. Now, now let me just let me break this down for you real simple so we can get where we're going. Now, now in Luke 24, 27, this is some of the witnesses of salvation. Luke 24, 47, John 3, 3, Romans 10, 13 through 15, Ephesians 2, 8, Titus 2, 11, Titus 3, 5 through 7. All right, so we have witnesses to create a doctrine why we believe what we believe. 
For the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we find our witnesses in Luke 24, 49, Acts 1, 4, Acts 1, 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 31, Acts 2, 4, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 10, 1 Corinthians 12 and 28, all right? So there's our witnesses for the baptism in the Holy Ghost, why we believe what we believe. The witnesses for healing are found in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, Matthew 5, 16 and 17, James 5, 14 through 16. So we have three witnesses for divine healing all right now now the witnesses for the rapture or the blessed hope is found in first Thessalonians 4 16 and 17 Romans 8 23 Titus 2 13 first Corinthians 15 51 and 52 now I said all of that to ask this question again what is the gospel because if I call forth witnesses and I read every single one of these verses to you, they will tell you why we believe in healing, why we believe in salvation the way that we believe it, why that we believe in the rapture or the blessed hope, whichever way you want to call it. They tell you by definition why we believe that because we have witnesses. But may I submit to you, brothers and sisters, I, I, I must submit to you we have an issue theologically in the church world when we talk about the gospel. I cannot deny that the word of God does specify in several different places there is a good news of Jesus Christ. But I must inform you that Jesus preached the gospel before he died. I can see you don't believe me. That went over really well. So let me bring up my witnesses for this. Mark 1, 14 through 15. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. I'm going somewhere. Just hold on for a moment. Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. In Luke 17.20-21, Jesus answers the Pharisees' question, one day, the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Hmm. All right, we'll keep going. Hold on. Because it's not just Jesus that talks about the gospel being the kingdom. Paul talks about it too in Colossians 1.13. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. Little k. Little k, all right, there's capital, there's lowercase, lowercase k, kingdom of darkness, all right? And transferred us into the kingdom, capital K, of his dear son, Jesus. All right, I, I, hold on just a second. What is the gospel then? Because if I was to go around the room and start asking this question, I would get a lot of answers saying that it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The problem is, how can Jesus preach a gospel that hasn't yet occurred? Anybody awake? How can Jesus preach a gospel when he's alive that has not yet occurred? The Father said he sent him to do his bidding, right? So if he's preaching the gospel and he's doing what he's heard the Father say in heaven... Then what's the gospel? So if we say the gospel is the cross, the burial, and the resurrection, why is that disagreeing with what Jesus himself said? I can see this going real well. So, so 
What type of fight is this then? Well, it's actually real similar to the fight that James and Paul had. Now, if you know anything about hermeneutics and Bible doctrine, you'll understand that Paul and James and Peter, and they could have called it the TV show The Preachers of Antioch because they almost had a fist fight one time at the first ever general council of the church. They, they got up and it was bad. It was ugly. They got on the microphone, spilled the church's business out in front of everybody. Read your Bible. It's like a Medea family reunion. Amen. It's all up in there. And, <laughs> And so they have this fight. Well, Paul starts preaching. He's killing Christians one day. He has a conversion. He's killing Christians. And then he starts preaching this grace that is just totally ridiculous and absurd. He starts preaching this grace and that was just ridiculous, like the kind of grace that restores and the kind of grace that redeems and the kind of grace that releases miracles and the kind of grace that repairs visions and dreams and the, the kind of grace that doesn't matter what you did or who you did it with. Uh, Jesus saves and Jesus heals and Jesus delivers and Jesus sets free the captives and Jesus gives strength to the weed and he gives hope to the hopeless. And let me just tell you, this grace was just a bit too greasy for James. And so James hurries up over to the house. He grabs the quill and he grabs the ink and sets it on the desk. And here's what James writes. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give them any food or clothing. What good does this do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is a dead and useless faith. Now, someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. This is the Bible, by the way. <coughs> Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And then he writes on about how Abraham had to prove himself of not being an idol worshiper anymore and that Rahab had to prove herself for not being an idol worshiper anymore. And he's, he's going on, this is James going on and on because he's so irritated and fed up with what Paul is preaching about, right? And so, and so what it brings us to the conclusion that in 2020, we have the self-same issue of people who claim that Jesus is, is, is loving them and they're loving him, but they're not leaving their idol worship. And let me just go ahead and break it down real fast. Sometimes the idol you're worshiping is you. Ooh, that went over real well. I, I just tell you, I'm not scared of any of y'all. I got three amens right behind me because it's all the book. Hallelujah. So uh, let's, let's go here now. Let's just go on ahead and follow this along. And let me explain this to you in depth. So the word kingdom is mentioned 326 times in the word of God, loosely to speak of kingdoms of man and the kingdom of God. 33 times in Matthew, the writer references the kingdom of heaven. Two times John writes about it in Revelation. And the first mention of the kingdom is in Genesis 10. And the last mention is in Revelation 17. The kingdom is a noun as it is a place, a thing, and an idea. 
Kingdom is actually two words, though. So here's why we need the whiteboard. So kingdom is actually two words. If you understand what a kingdom is, you have to separate the word. So you have a king, which is Jesus, right? All right, so Jesus is the king. But if you have dumb, what is dumb? Well, let me, I'm glad you asked. So here's the deal. This is first a king, right? So then you have dumb. Dumb is a forming nouns denoting a state or condition like free dumb or denoting a rank of status or status like earldom or denoting a domain like dominion. Ah, so, so we're going somewhere. So uh, it's interesting to me. So if we have dumb in the kingdom, we have dumb, I-N-I-O-N. I can spell. I just can't write that well. So you have Jesus on one side, but you have dominion on the other side. So the gospel cannot be about you. Oh, yeah. So Because when we, when we get in our mind that Jesus died on a cross and he rose from the dead... He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And then when he did that, he did that and he brought out the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He did all that thing. Now, he did that. Well, then who is the subject matter at hand? Because we don't ever say that he did that for himself. All right? We, we, we don't say he did that to die for himself. He did that because it was commanded from the Father. But the Father, later on, to, until, when the disciples are asking how to pray, the Father tells him to tell the disciples how to pray. And how did he say to pray? Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is the gospel? It's the kingdom of God active on earth as it is in heaven in the same will format that it is in heaven. Now, now listen, we break this down just a little bit more. Let me, let me understand the, the, this to you. I'll understand it to you. So, so the, the deal is... Matt Carpenter once said this, I didn't have great theology, but I had great intimacy. So a lot of times what you don't need to have is great theology. What you need to have is great intimacy that builds deep theology on the inside of you. Oh, that's good. Now, I'll pat myself on the back. You need to get yourself deep in intimacy with Jesus before you worry about your theology of Jesus. It's better to know the person of Jesus, Leland. Y'all know the singer? Y'all know the singer Leland? Y'all heard of him, right? Uh, Leland, the singer, I was talking with him face-to-face -face one day, pre-COVID, so he wasn't wearing a mask. And uh, <laughs> Leland was talking to me one day. He said, I grew up in church. I was said that I had been saved all my life. But he said, I was like 22 years old before I ever knew who Jesus, the person, really was. So at some point, we have to admit to ourselves that what we have is we have an earthly kingdom that we have built for ourselves, and that skews the timeline to something else entirely. When you don't break it down correctly, then you start having lust, and you start having fear, and the reason why, I'm ready for my chair, Carden, come on. The reason why is because when you have a king in a kingdom, you have a throne, right? You have a throne. I've been to Buckingham Palace. I was not allowed to sit on the seat when I was in Buckingham Palace. That was the queen's seat. 
And the reason why is because if I sit on the queen's seat, that means that I am committing an act. What is that act called? I'm committing an act. If I sit on the queen's seat, it's called treason. Now, come here. I'm not done with you. Get up here. So this is my throne. And I want to prove to you this is designed for one person. Have a seat. Is there any room for me to sit down? No, because this is a one-person designate. So if I have framed my theology based off loose ideology rather than the kingdom and the king, then I think I can join seats with Jesus. The problem is, is Jesus is not going to be made uncomfortable by you. So Jesus gets up, ah, get up, Jesus, <laughs> and walk down there and sit on the front pew. Jesus is going to get up and let you have it to yourself. He ain't going to fool with you fighting over his chair. He ain't going to fool with you fighting over what's rightfully his. The Bible says that he created Adam and Eve. I was talking with Papa about this this week. He created Adam and Eve. And the first thing that he did was got his hands dirty. He spoke the earth into existence. He spoke all these other things into existence. But when it came time to create you, he got dirty. And nearness was what caused his participation in your creation. Because you cannot create something. I'm a maintenance technician. You cannot be far away from what you're trying to create unless you're close to it. It will not get created. Oh, I got some things to say. And so what's happened is, is we have framed our mind off of Western ideology rather than biblical theology. Now, Jesus was not a white man. Some of y'all just about had a heart attack right there. I can see it. Uh, Jesus was not white. He wasn't black. I'm sorry, I seen a movie here a while back, had black Jesus. I'm like, dude, he was from, he was an Arabic, like, he was, or an Arab. Like, this dude is brown skin, he probably had really long hair and a beard, and he probably wore what you would call a dress. I'm just saying, he, <laughs> he really did. Like, that is the actual Jesus. And so, when we skew the timeline, we come down here, we get lust, and we get fear, and then we get pain. By the way, in case you didn't know, there's no pain in heaven. I can prove it in the book if you'd like later on. But we get pain and we get suffering. And the problem is, and the reason why we have these things, is because we're sitting in the throne room spot instead of Jesus. So what is the gospel? Is it about you or is it about Jesus? I'm confused because if I listen to what Caleb says, I want to get over up the side of the car and just go running down the highway about how good God has been just for me. Nobody else, just me. It becomes a selfish version of the gospel when it's about you. The kingdom, on the other hand, is not about you. The kingdom is about the king and his dominion. <laughs> it's about the king and his dominion. So let's, let's keep going deeper. Now, now listen, I, I want to share 
quickly, and I don't want anybody to get offended, but this is the way the Holy Spirit spoke to me, so I want you to understand this is straight from the Lord. So we are the bride of Christ. We are supposed to be dressed in white, but in these last days, these perilous times, the church world as a whole has crawled into bed with three whores that separates us from intimacy with our husbandmen. Relevancy is the first whore that the church has gotten into bed with. Individuality is the whore that's the second in line that the church has gotten into bed with. Jesus is not our personal savior now. He died for the church to be unified in the umbrella of a branding rather than under the umbrella of the kingdom. Oh, come on now. Don't look at me like that. Legalism is the third whore that the church has gotten into bed with. The motivation to be outwardly perfected because people are looking. Mm -hmm. The difference between holiness and legalist on the outside is nothing. Did you know that? On the outside, the difference is nothing. The inside is the accounting factor of this difference. Legalist on the inside motivation is for people to lift them up in their eyes. But holiness is to lift up their own eyes to the Father's will of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, I got some things to say. So Matthew 6, the Bible says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything that you need. The problem is, is we've got things in the place of the kingdom. And listen, I'm just going to be real honest with you. And this is something I don't, I don't, feel, I don't feel ashamed to share. Uh, but, but when Dr. Luke was here, I became really, very good friends with Dr. Luke very quickly. And, and Dr. Luke, one day, he just, he just kind of told me out of the blue. He said, he said I just kind of see on your arm. He said, I see this perfectly timed atomic watch that costs like an enormous amount of money. And I looked up an atomic watch because I didn't know what it was. And they cost an enormous amount of money. And so I was, he he said, I see this atomic watch on your wrist and you're wearing it and you're worried about the time running out and things are going to happen in your life and, and things are going to happen in the world and you're not going to be able to fulfill God's call in your life. He said, and I've seen in a moment Jesus walking along up your arm and replace the face of that watch with his face. And he said, you don't have to worry about anybody else's timing but his if you just seek the kingdom of heaven first. And that was the prophetic. And then I read in the book and it Backs up the prophetic because he said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Now, how many of you heard this, that the kingdom of heaven is voice activated? It's because of this verse in Mark eleven twenty three. 23. Listen to the truth I speak to you. If someone says to this mountain with great faith and having no doubt, mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the midst of the sea and believes that what he says will happen, it will be done. And what I got out of that verse is that a man can chase the kingdom or he can chase the world. You can chase the kingdom of God and his righteousness, uh, or you can chase the world. Now, now I've got some witnesses for this, too. Um, in Proverbs 28, 19, verse, verse 19, it says, A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies ends up in poverty. Seven, 2 Timothy 4 and 
3 says this, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject truth and chase after myths. They'll chase after myths? How many know somebody who is just absolutely bonkers right now over Game of Thrones? I'm just saying, man, you know somebody, at least one person, and they're, they're out of their mind for these things because they're looking for a supernatural reality that a, oh, that a lukewarm church has not shown them. And here's the reason why. Let me, let me, let me go ahead and let's keep on moving. Uh, if you chase the kingdom... You will understand that everything in the kingdom of heaven that is not voice activated is activated on motion sensor. Well, how do I know that? Well, it's real simple. Matthew 6.33 says to chase after the kingdom, which requires movement. In order to chase, you got to move. <laughs> and, then, and then in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, it says keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks the door will be open so if you don't believe that ask Moses what caused the waters to flow and ask Joshua what caused the walls to fall ask Jehoshaphat what caused the enemies to kill one another ask Naaman what caused his spots to fall off ask the ten lepers what caused them to be made whole ask Lazarus what caused his reappearance to the land of the living ask the lame man laid before Jesus feet what completed his miracle ask the lame man at the gate what gave him his breakthrough ask the New Testament church what made them so successful go ahead and ask them and ask them real good because every single one that you ask the common denominator was movement in the kingdom of heaven movement in the kingdom of heaven now let's let's wrap this up with the lord's prayer matthew 6 9 through 13 it says when you pray pray like this this is red letter words our father in heaven may your name be kept holy May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, number one, it says, our father. Now, listen, that's a reference to the fact that he is the king. Because he's the father of all. Now, now, here's how I know that. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one father of all. Ooh, even the fatherless have got a father. Because Psalm 68, 5 says, Father to the fatherless, defender of the widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. Oh, it's about the kingdom. Because it? it keeps on talking and it gets down in there. And it says... It says, number one, our Father, in reference to the Father of all, the King of all. Amen. And then it says, in heaven. Where is heaven? Well, it's a reference to the third heaven. Now, there, you got to understand there's three heavens. So I turn my whiteboard around so you can understand this. There's three heavens, right? Amen. So you have the first heaven, which is earth. You, right here. See? I am an artiste. I'll, sell, I'll sign this and sell it later on. But, uh. You have the earth, which is you. Now, in this earth, you got a bed and you got a car and all these things. Now, then you have the second heaven, which is the air. Well, I don't know why I put two A's on there. But now, in the air, 
I know you heard bad theology all your life, but the air is where the devil lives. That's how the Bible says he's the prince, the power of the air. The Bible says in the, in the end, when it's all said and done, he will be in hell. He will be in the lake of fire. In fact, he will be bound by one angel. But right now, he lives in the second heaven. So you have one, two, and then way up here, you have where God lives. So he's talking about not this heaven, not this heaven, but this heaven where he's currently residing, the place where he puts his feet up on a footstool, which is the earth, in case you didn't know. So he says, our Father in heaven, in direct reference to the kingdom of heaven. Our Father in heaven. He's praying to the king of the kingdom because Jesus had to first submit to the Father before we could ever submit to him. Oh, you, know, you, you ain't giving no amens, but you're learning something tonight. I'm telling you. And so, so here's the deal. He moves on, and he says, But the Lord, in his holy temple, the Lord still rules from heaven. All right? And he says, May your name be kept holy. Holy there is hagiazo, which means to make holy, to consecrate, to sanctify. Now, I talked about sanctification just a minute ago, but it means to concentrate, concentra- not concentrate, to consecrate and to sanctify. The phonetic spelling of that is hagiazo. So that's how I know how to pronounce that. In case you, I'm not that smart, I just know how to read the phonetics of a word. It's. You know, it's all there. You can read them too. You can read the Greek. I'm just telling you. Pull up the phonetics. And it says, the usage of this word, though, is what really interested me. It means, I make holy, to treat as holy, to set apart as holy, to sanctify, to hallow, to purify. He said that. He said that is just really crazy to me. May your name be kept holy. That means you make his name holy. He doesn't make his own name holy. You do it. It says so right here. I'm just reading the word. I don't know about y'all. So, so then we go on. We move on. It says in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, it says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. I know some churches down the street that need to hear this message too. I may go preach it on the front porch afterwards. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. And he goes on, he says, may your will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. Well, here's where it gets deep. May his will. So... Just so you know, when a king decides something, Congress does not have to see a bill and the Senate does not have to approve it. When the king decides it, it is concrete. He sends a herald to the city gate. They proclaim a thing, and it is so, sila. And so he says, may your will be done on earth. So in other words, there is a plan that the kingdom make its way 
through where all the devil's doings are at, into the earth. Are you tracking with me now? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when you pray, you pray, God, let your will in heaven be done on her. Now, you got to understand, there's no, there's no eyeglasses in heaven. There's no cerebral palsy in heaven. There's no cancer in heaven. There, there, there's no sickness, pain, disease, no death. There's not even any night in heaven. And the, the God of all creation says, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, pray like this. He moves on. He says, give us this day the food that we need. Now, I want you to understand the word food here is not a reference to something edible. It's not talking about a loaf of bread from Walmart. He's talking about the word of God. And he says, give us this day the food that we need. Jesus told him in Matthew 4, 4, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God is the food that we need because the Bible says in Hebrews 5, 12, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others, but instead you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word because you are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food it's about the kingdom first corinthians 3 2 paul says i had to feed you with milk not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready he moves on. He says, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Here's what the Bible says in Luke 7, 47. He says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The woman had sinned against God, and the Bible says that Jesus knew it. He could probably name them all one at a time, but then he turns around and forgives her. I could preach a long time on that, but I'm going to move on. It says, and don't let us yield to temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now listen, don't allow, don't allow Facebook philosophers lure you in with bad theology. If your spirit doesn't like it, look in the book because it's probably wrong. There, I seen here a while back where somebody tried to say that this verse wasn't in the Bible. And I'm, I flipped back to it and I'm like, nope, still there. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So there's no temptation that is not given to you that you can't overcome. And then the Bible says, rescue us from the evil one. Now Psalm 91 verse 3 says, for he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. This is what David wrote. And he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the dark 
darkest valley. I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Now, now listen, I want to wrap all this up, and the deal is, and the deal about all of this is, there's a penalty for committing treason. And, and up even until people forgot this part of history because they want to cancel it all, but uh, up into World War II, you committed treason against the United States, you were shot. Soldiers, American soldiers, were shot in World War II for committing treason during the war. And I, I was watching where George Washington once caught a spy committing treason. He was American committing treason, spying for the British, and they hung him from a tree, and he didn't die. So you know what they did? They went over there, two or three men went over there, grabbed his legs, and started pulling on him until they snapped his neck because the price of treason is death. You don't believe me. Ask Satan how it felt. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like a bolt of lightning. He said, I was there when it happened. I watched it happen. He said, he said, then he said, he goes into Romans. He goes into Romans. He says, he says, for the wages of sin is death. Well, the original sin, let me just wrap all this up in a nutshell. The original sin is not money. I know everybody says that. The money, I don't know where that comes from. Again, bad theology. Even before Facebook, bad theology. People getting crazy stuff. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It does not call it the original sin. But James chapter 5 says that the original sin was desire. Because Jesus was tempted in all ways. What does that mean? He was tempted by his desire to serve his flesh. Oh, so he's been just like you. He was tempted just like you to not serve his master because he had one, the Father in heaven. He answered to somebody. He wasn't just out there on his own doing his own thing. And so what I want you to understand tonight, that the wages of sin is death. The original sin was desire. The desire to do what? Satan said, I shall ascend into the mountains and be like the Most High. He wanted his own kingdom. And when we say we want to act how we want to act, we're going to get ours. We want to talk how we want to talk. We want to do what we want to do. First of all, that shows me one thing. If you're in a Pentecostal church and you're acting like that, that means you ain't full of the Holy Ghost. Because the Bible says the Holy Ghost will lead you. Ooh, I know you don't want the word, but it's in there. Amen. He said, he will lead you. And I don't know what kind of Holy Ghost some of y'all got, because the Bible says that the Holy Ghost is a teacher. He is a, he's a teacher. He will lay it out plainly. A teacher does not lay it out in a format that you cannot understand. He, he lays it out in a format that even the dumbest of the dumb can understand, because that's why Jesus talked in parables. When he was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, by the way, this has nothing to do with anything, but have you ever wondered what the difference was between the Pharisees and the Sadducees? 
This is the truth. <laughs> I, I paid a lot of money to learn this. Truth, truthfully. Pharisees believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees don't. So they're sad, you see. I'm being serious. That's, that's how I learned that. That's the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They don't believe in the resurrection, so they're sad, you see. Um, and so... So he talked to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which were regularly in the law. They, were, they, they could read. First of all, you've got to understand, a lot of these people couldn't read. They could read, and they were, and I don't know if you've ever seen the Bible. I actually have seen the Bible before. Some of the scrolls came to Conway one time, and they roll them out, and just almost indefinitely, the, they come in, and they're like this big, and they're huge, and they're not paper. They're you know, animal skin. They roll them out on big old sheets of paper. So you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they're reading these manuscripts and they're understanding. So when Jesus talks to them, he talks to them on their level. But then when he talks to the crowds, the multitudes, he starts telling stories that they can relate to. And so the Holy Ghost comes in and he's going to be your teacher and your guide. Jesus said, it is the best thing in the world for you that I have died and resurrected because the Holy Ghost can now come and indwell in you and teach you all things. But the problem is is we're tr still trying to share a seat. Now, when I pulled this out, I was very irritated because I preached on this some years ago, and this was a gorgeous thing, and it had a crown, and somebody has sat in my seat and ruined it. It was just a prop. It wasn't built to be set in, but, but it, as soon as I seen it, it just hit me, and I was like, this is what my life's throne looks like every time I decide to sit on it. It gets messed up. It's not pretty anymore. This was built to be a prop. This is a lawn chair. Pay to gold, y'all. And I, I hot glued with mom. I hot glued most of this on here. And I did it as a visual aid, a prop. And somebody sat on it, and it wasn't meant to be sat on. And that's what Jesus said to me. I seen this. He, he, said, he said, this is your life. When you sit on your throne, it turns into a mess and everything that's ornate about it falls apart. And then he told me, he said, but don't worry. He said, he said, every time that you come back to me and your life feels like it's spinning out of control, he said for me to tell you, he said, don't worry. It's not spinning out of control. It's spinning into control because you're submitting to the kingdom. It's not going out of control. It's spinning into the preparation plans that was supposed to have been there your entire life. But you got to submit to the kingdom. You cannot live in the, in the idiocracies of this world because there's a lot of idiots running those. You have fools and fool-hearted people following their hearts, running societies. But you have the king of all heaven and all earths. Did you know that we're probably not the only people in the world? I heard back in the day in, in 2003, 11, 12, I heard the assistant general superintendent of the Assemblies of God preach, and he was a rocket scientist in his previous life, literally. And uh, he got to preach, and he brought this little photograph. And this was in the time where photographs were still prevalent because it was just, I mean, you know, even the iPhone didn't have a camera at that time. I know it's hard to believe, y'all, but the iPhone didn't have a camera at that time. And, and so, so he brought this photograph, and he was preaching about this, and he said, you see all these stars in this photograph? He said... Those are galaxies. 
This photograph was littered with what looked like, to my eyes, stars. But because he was a rocket scientist and worked for NASA, he knew he had seen bigger, blown-up portions. This was a full galaxy, but it was so far away that it looked like a star to the human eye. And when we submit to the kingdom, what we're submitting to is a God that says, I know who you are because I placed all the stars exactly where they're at, and I know where they're at to this day. But at what point are we going to stop worrying about us and stop worrying about what we are going to get out of this? Now, I heard Bill Johnson say it this way one time. I really like this. But Bill Johnson said one time, and I heard him, he said, not out of pride. He said, with tears in his eyes, he said, when I get to heaven and when it's my turn to lay down my crown at Jesus' feet, he said, I want the biggest crown in the room. And he was like, well, you're looking at me. I can see some of you. He's like, well, that's really prideful. And he said, no. He said, not for pride. He said, he said, I want to know because jewels and crowns are represented by how much you've done in this life that you were called to do, designated. <laughs> and so the bigger your crown gets, which means the more that you've submitted to his will and done what you're supposed to do in his kingdom. He said, I want to set the biggest crown at Jesus' feet. Because it means I've done the most that my life could have possibly done. So I sit this crown at his feet. Because it's not mine, it's, it's his crown. Because it's his kingdom. <laughs> Stand with me. Tonight, I just want you to understand. You live in a kingdom and you have a king. And that king has a different name than you. And he doesn't run things like you. And he doesn't have the same ideas that you have because his thoughts are higher. Of the highest thought that your little brain can come up with, his thoughts are still higher than that. And believe me, I have the smallest of the small brains, even though I have a huge head. So, so his thoughts are still higher and above the Bible says Paul is here running out of all the adjectives. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask, think, or even imagine. And we think that our little pea brains are going to come sit on the throne of our lives and everything's going to work out. I mean, we got like marbles rolling around up in here, and God's like, if you just get out of the way and submit to my plans and my authority and my kingdom and my Christ, it's not your Christ, it's his Christ. The Bible says, I believe it's in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, the authority of his Christ. <laughs> so I want you to understand, first and foremost, you have a king. His name is Jesus. If you don't have a king, if you somehow decided, you know what, I had this thing going right, Jesus, he was in his place, but I sat down in my chair and I messed everything up. It's a mess. It needs some hot glue. It needs, probably needs a backhoe and it needs a bulldozer to get some, some construction debris out of the way. And, and it probably, it may even need a steamroller to roll some things down that I've constructed. And you say, you know what, I, my kingdom... 
is not going the way I planned it. Lord, I, I really probably need to submit myself, my thoughts, my will, my emotions to yours so that my life will turn out in some kind of a good way. So here's the thing. If you knew all, you wouldn't need a king. If you knew all things, you wouldn't need Jesus. You wouldn't need the Holy Ghost. You wouldn't need a father in heaven. But you don't. Even though you think you do, you don't. I try to say a lot of times to irritate my mom and my wife mostly, uh, I know everything and what I don't know is not worth knowing. But <laughs> when I get to digging in this book and I realize how big God is, and I realize how small that I am when he takes his foot and puts it on the earth as a footstool. I'm pretty tiny and insignificant. But he says still, you know what? When I created you, I got dirty. I put my hands in the dirt. I created you. I knew exactly what I was getting into. I knew in that moment exactly what I was getting into. So tonight you say, you know what? I need to refocus and realign my idiom of thought about the kingdom. And it's not my kingdom, it's his kingdom. It's his church. It's his ministry vans. It's his ministry. It's his, it's his boardroom. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost just prompted me to say this. It's not about you or what you want it's about my will and my plans and if you follow me I will guide you in the right paths from this day forward so tonight you say I need to refocus. I need to get my priorities straight. This is a tough decision. Because when you say you're not going to commit treason anymore, first of all, if the king finds you in his seat, he has the right to execute you. The Bible says Jesus full willing knew. He said, you without sin cast the first stone. Full well knowing he could have picked up the first stone and just killed that woman right then and there. So he has the right to execute you, but the Bible says first the death, then the judgment. So if you're feeling condemned or condemnation about a past act, just let me break that off of you in this moment because the Bible says first the death, then the judgment. So if you didn't die of that sin, you, you're not being judged. So you may need to move on in the kingdom from that main line of thought, thinking, you know, I'll never be good enough. I've, I've done too much. My past is too dirty, too messy. The Bible says that he puts all those sins in the sea of forgetfulness. And the Holy Spirit revealed to me one time that the sea of forgetfulness is the literal blood of Jesus. He literally does not remember them anymore. He chooses not to. So you say, my kingdom is in ruin. 
This is a hard decision. There's no way about it. This is a hard decision. My kingdom's in ruin. My life is not going how I wanted it to. I may have lived for God for 50 years, but my life is just still not quite turning out. I need to refocus and readjust and realign and that his kingdom be the very first thing in my life every single day. You say that, you know what? That's me, man. I need to get that in order. I need to get that right now. I need to get that one thing right. I want you to find a place and submit to the Lord.